Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Ah, MySpace. And just that name makes me nostalgic, but seriously. Let's go back about 18 years to the beginning of what would become an earth-shattering digital phenomenon, social networking, right? But seriously, MySpace was a social media pioneer, if not the social media pioneer. Now, despite them being virtually non-existent at this point, MySpace really paved the way for many modern social platforms. And we're gonna take a look at what worked, what didn't work, take a look at the implications for the future, most importantly, what this means for brands that everyone assumes are too big to fail. But wait, seemingly out of nowhere, MySpace fanatics suddenly stopped using it. Why? What happened? So let's travel back in time to the 2000s. Remember when Napster and MP3 torrenting were all the rage? iPods were the hottest thing since the Sony Walkman. Hip-hop dominated the music scene. Primetime TV was fresh and unpredictable. We were dancing with the stars, lost on an island after a plane crash, and we all loved Raymond. Let's step back a bit further to the earliest part of this fun decade. We're amongst the backdrop of entertainment excitement hiding in the shadows was Friendster. Friendster was one of the very first popular social networking sites. Friendster was a one-stop shop for dating, blogs, networking, and sharing online content such as photos and messages with other users. Even the name Friendster was synonymous with the socially confident word friend combined with the household name that was all the rage, Napster. We all remember Napster. In 2003, Friendster chose to stay privately held and turned down an offer from Google for a $30 million buyout. In that same year, a group of entrepreneurial e-universe employees with Friendster accounts saw a lot of potential in this new and exciting world of social networking. In that same year, within 10 days, MySpace was born. The birth and meteoric rise of MySpace, that MySpace.com. It was a social networking service created by University of California, Berkeley graduate, Tom Anderson. One of the fun facts about MySpace is that when you signed up, everyone got a friend automatically. And it was the same friend. It was the founder, Tom Anderson. If you had a MySpace account, you automatically had Tom as a friend. And in fact, it was your first friend on that platform. After emerging in September 2003, the site quickly gained a large user base, thanks to the number of disgruntled Friendster users. And we'll get into Friendster in just a little bit because 
who the hell is Friendster? Um, and also, it gained a lot of traction because people using social networking, um, they had needs that couldn't be met by any single service. MySpace had many of the same basic features that Friendster had, such as uploading pictures, posting comments about others, bulletins from all of your friends, searching for users and inviting your friends. But it was more. MySpace had a lot more. First of all, you were able to rank your friends, which is kind of an interesting thing. You could rank them in order of importance. You can't even do that on Facebook. It also was one of the first platforms to have instant messaging with other users. And then of course there was MySpace music, band pages, and music videos. In fact, music codes were put in that could be put into profiles that enabled users to have their favorite song play whenever you looked at their profile. There was also MySpace film, there was MySpace games, and one of the coolest things is they allowed people to put in HTML code so you could even pimp out your landing page. In just two years, MySpace was the fifth most popular website in the world. Within three years, it caught the eye of one of the wealthiest men in the world, Rupert Murdoch, and his news corporation, who approached MySpace and purchased it for a whopping $580 million over half a billion dollars. MySpace was the new bastion for 15-year-old raucous profiles featuring web quizzes, telling them you know, what their earth element was and a dozen Photoshop pictures of themselves taken at arm's length, looking all broody. Uh, you know, while some people claim it was used for actual networking purposes, I don't know why anybody would do that unless they wanted to network with 15-year-olds and who wanted to do that. So, as we mentioned before, MySpace was born out of Friendster. In fact, they were obsessed with beating Friendster. So, to understand MySpace, we've got to backtrack and we have to understand Friendster. Why? Because MySpace didn't see Facebook coming. They were worried about Friendster. And that was fatal mistake number one. So what in the world was even Friendster? Friendster was created by Jonathan Abrams, who was, by all accounts, uh, an absolute genius in his day, right? He created the very first the, he was an absolute pioneer, created the very first online social network and enlisted Silicon Valley's best and brightest talent to run it. And yet Friendster flamed out spectacularly. I mean, what a way to kill a great idea. So, I mean, it's not easy being the brains behind one of the biggest disappointments in internet history. And those can describe you as a visionary, but in the same breath, they'll deride you as like a lousy business person, right? Bloggers attacked him as, you know, either an a-hole or a very lucky idiot savant, former investors badmouthed him, uh, other entrepreneurs copied his ideas without even giving him credit. But absolutely, Jonathan Abrams was the pioneer. He was the genius behind everything we now know as social media. 
and all of the platforms. He was the first one that went to battle, created it, and built it. Um, it was put down, it was derided. It was, they, New York Times made reference to his ballooning ego. Um, but it was truly the first online social network. And he was the pioneer of one of the hottest trends on the web. Um, and he had to deal with a bad branding challenge, which is why it's subject and being discussed on our podcast. You know, he's personally bounced back, but for now we're just discussing, you know, the birthplace of MySpace and to gain an understanding of its nemesis, Fenster. Uh, as Fortune Magazine put it back in October 2003, there may be a new kind of internet emerging, one more about connecting people to people than people to websites. And in the months following its launch, earlier that year, Friendster garnered millions of users, millions of devoted users who used to use Friendster's name as a verb as well as a noun. By the end of 2003, the company Abrams founded in his San Francisco apartment had raised $13 million from his apartment. And it was from the same investors who had backed Amazon, Yahoo, and eBay. That's impressive. That's a phenomenal brand. And he was the first to do it. He appeared in scores of major magazines and newspapers and television. Friendster was a company the world could understand, participate, and dream on. It was the next big thing. It was one of the few startups that actually changed the world, but not through Friendster, but by creating MySpace. So during March 2007, one out of every five Americans visited MySpace, which was essentially a Friendster copycat site that was built back in 2003. In what felt like a millisecond, those one in five Americans visiting MySpace, they listened to music, scoped out crushes, made plans with friends, decided that Stephen Colbert was cool, uh, and in the process, altered the way we think and we use the internet. Meanwhile, Friendster fell apart. It fell to 13th place among social networks in the U.S. and saw its market share decline from over 25% down to 0.3%. In the business and technology media, the fall of Friendster has been widely portrayed as an isolated management failure with Abrams shouldering much of the blame, and frankly, he shouldn't have. Indeed, Friendster now has the dubious honor of being the focus of a Harvard Business School case study on how not to manage a tech company. It ran out of money quickly and was recapitalized at a valuation of only three million bucks. That recap even stripped Abrams of his board seat and almost all of his equity. Abrams, as the founder, became an outsider. He was absolutely not a failure in our eyes and his pure genius, but got caught up in a venture capitalist environment and timing of resources, which were simply mismatched. Friendster never even felt like a long shot to him. 
He seemed to understand Silicon Valley better than anyone. And he was right. He was the first to the dance. But like they say, oftentimes pioneers get slaughtered. And that's what happened. The beauty of Friendster was that it was exhaustively complete. It was a complete network. Every time a homepage loaded, Friendster's servers would calculate a single user's connections to other users within four degrees of separation, which could mean hundreds of thousands of individuals. Because the network was constantly changing as new users joined and connected with one another, those calculations had to happen on the fly in what would eventually amount to trillions of rapid calculations. The algorithm was brilliant. I mean, he opened Friendster back in March 2003, and by June, it had 835,000 registered members. That's better than any website I've ever seen. Four months later, there were more than 2 million, generating some 10 million page views every single day. By late 2003, load times started to slow down. The algorithm was too complex. Load time started to clock in at over a minute. And this was one of the biggest falls of Friendster, which paved way for MySpace. Between March and October 2003, Friendster was all over the media. Time called it one of the best inventions of 2003. Entertainment Weekly named Abrams the friendliest man of the year in its annual Breakout Stars issue. But he had no outside public relations help, no marketing personnel. He handled everything by himself. By July 2003, with the site pushing a million members, each of the new hires came to Friendster with strong ideas about how to make the company as big as possible, as fast as possible, with an eye toward a big exit for investors. But with new rivals, most notably MySpace and then Facebook, they started emerging and they wanted to move fast. So Friendster wanted to move even faster. But agreeing on a game plan turned out to be the biggest problem. There was a leadership battle at the top that was like a war. Everybody had their own agenda. It was corporate schizophrenia. Right? Rather than improving the, the software, Friendster went on a partnership binge. They had a hodgepodge of incongruous, poorly integrated features like blogs with one vendor, video sharing with another vendor, personalized searches with yet another vendor, VoIP, you know, voice over IP with another vendor, and then internet radio with another vendor. So... During that time, little attention was paid to Friendster's users. And many remember sometime in right around 2004, how Friendster's traffic would mysteriously spike at a really weird time, like 2 a.m. And then they would look at the site's logs and find out, holy cow, it's all coming from the Philippines. Why is that bad? Because they weren't advertising in the Philippines. All of their advertising was in the U.S. So from a business standpoint, that revelation was devastating. Friendster, it turned out, was paying millions of dollars a year to attract the eyeballs that were effectively worthless to its advertisers. 
So they needed to make tough decisions and there was no easy answer. The demand for social media was changing. The lure of Friendster and to much greater extent MySpace was not elegant web of connections, but rather the opportunity to gawk at strangers. Rather than using Friendster to make dates, most of its users were simply cruising around and looking at all the weird interests, pictures, and blog droppings of strangers, right? Fake stir profiles began to occur. I mean, one of the biggest booms back then was online dating, and that was controlled by Match.com. The free-spirited MySpace, which allowed anyone to look at anyone's profile and didn't bother to calculate connections, took off. MySpace surpassed Friendster by the end of 2004 after only one year in business. A mere nine months later, it was clocking 22 million unique users per month in the United States, compared to only one million for Friendster. As MySpace pulled away, morale and talent and resources at Friendster plummeted and vanquished. So MySpace continued to grow and Friendster drowned death in the sea of obscurity on the web. And MySpace had a meteoric rise. At one point, they had 70,000 new users signing up every single day. It had more daily visitors than Google at one point. And MySpace offered a new kind of shared experience, connecting millions of users via interests in music, film, and popular culture. It marketed itself cooler than Friendster and Facebook. In fact, one of the phrases really popular back then was, you know, your mom is on Facebook and no one's on Friendster. And that was a common phrase. And to a large degree, it was cool. And it was true for a long period of time. At its peak, the website was valued at $12 billion. Really short time after that, it was sold for just $35 million. I mean, when we look at the timeline, MySpace was launched in 2004. It was acquired by Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation just a year later. Now, to say MySpace was a hot property back in 2005, that's an understatement, right? And from 2005 to 2008, MySpace was the largest social networking site in the world. In June 2006 is when it surpassed Google as the most visited site. And then within 15 months of being acquired by Rupert Murdoch's group, revenues had left, had, had leapt, meaning they rose from just about a million dollars a month to over $50 million a month. Half came from advertising sold by the new sales team that News Corporation had installed. And the rest was from a large deal they made with Google for search engine optimization and ads and things like that. So as advertisers rushed to target the site's rapidly expanding audience, Offices were opened in Japan, South Korea, China, while free music service was launched at a considerable expense. And for those who don't know or frankly just don't remember, it incorporated a few key features, right? Users had a profile on MySpace that included photos, a biography section, a music player, and customizable graphics. And they gave you the first friend, which was Tom, the founder. 
right? Users could post bulletins that showed up on bulletin boards of friends, post comments, and eventually utilize an instant messaging component. And then the top friends feature in pecking order was pretty cool. You could literally list who your friends were in matter of importance. MySpace was really huge for the music scene and it functioned as a self-serving advertising platform for those seeking publicity. And then right around 2008, MySpace began to dwindle, right? By the beginning of 2008, things began to sour. As the rivalry with Facebook intensified, MySpace staff took pride in the fact that theirs was edgier, right? And with a younger demographic, that's how that phrase, right? And they had stickers created that said, you know, your mom is on Facebook, things like that, implying that Facebook wasn't cool. So the company also prided itself on being able to respond quickly to the needs and demands of its community. But once Rupert Murdoch's group had set the revenue target at a billion dollars, MySpace and the community and making it last culturally became extremely difficult because advertising on the site got flooded. Innovations and changes started to go to the back burner and then the crash of 08 happened and the, the News Corp and Rupert Murdoch's attention got focused on financial institutions and away from the internet, and in particularly away from MySpace. You know, the technology began to become substandard. It became really difficult to remove pages from the site because of the effect that it had on revenue, right? They had to get approval for everything. And all of that red tape would bog things down. Meanwhile, its arch rival that it didn't see coming because it was busy worried about Friendster, right? Facebook. Facebook was the rival social network that was simpler and easier to use. And it started gaining massive momentum. It started to grow much faster than MySpace. MySpace shed 40% of its staff, closed many of its international offices, and publicly gave up trying to match Facebook in the race to become the world's biggest social network. MySpace had more than 100 million regular users. Meanwhile, Facebook had 300 million, which soon turned into over a billion users worldwide. And Anderson, the first friend that MySpace users had when they opened up an account, I mean, he was seen within the company as its closest ties to its online uh, community. And at that point, he even left the company. So basically, it became uncool and it didn't adapt. I mean, it was created with a target user audience of 13 to 18 year olds in mind. And as that demographic began to outgrow their high school mindsets of parties and punk rock bands, MySpace failed to keep the appeal to more adult interests and lifestyles. It also suffered from poor design, right? The look of MySpace became unappealing. It became crowded with ads and it became rarely updated, 
right? Then in 2011, they tried to rebrand and they rebranded itself as a social entertainment destination rather than a social networking website, whatever the heck that difference means. Loyal users felt betrayed and viewed my, MySpace as a sellout. And then competition just crushed it. Friendster was gone long before that, but Facebook operated alongside MySpace from the beginning and capitalized on every one of MySpace mistakes. They focused on a clean, user-friendly layout, constant innovation, relevant content, that, and, and content that appealed to all ages. And they exhibited, perceived or real, a genuine concern for its users. So MySpace had a good run, but like anything else, its time had come. And with the rise and fall of MySpace, the fall landed right into the hands of pop star Justin Timberlake. Remember, not all social media stories have a happy Let me go over just a quick overview of the timeline as a 30,000 foot view and then we're going to end with why the fall actually happened. So when we think about the rise, the very beginning of uh, MySpace, you know, August 2003, MySpace's birth, right? It's created. It's created from eUniverse as a Friendster clone. That's why they were worried about Friendster. They didn't really see Facebook coming. Uh, in November 2003, the Washington Post runs a story about social networking sites already asking, where's the money? Where are they going? How are they going to monetize these social networking sites? And then in February of 2004, Facebook.com launches at Harvard. For the first time ever, poking becomes widespread on the Ivy League campus. But at the beginning, they weren't worried about Facebook because it was mostly just on the East Coast. It was mostly just Ivy League and it was mostly just... Um, college kid. 2000 or June 2004, MySpace broke a million unique visitors per month. They broke a million per month. So they were flying high in June 2004. And in fact, by October of that year of 2004, the band REM posted an entire album to MySpace, which emulated thousands of smaller name musicians who flocked to the site. So MySpace was really at its peak. And then 2005, January of 2005, MySpace hit a phase of exponential growth, gaining millions and millions of members in the first half of the year. And that's when it gets bought in July of that year for over half a billion dollars. But then, shortly thereafter... Um, in August 2006, Google signs a $900 million three-year deal to become the exclusive provider for ad sales for MySpace. That was that Google deal. So they had the funds, they had the corporate backing, and then things started to unravel. In October of that year, a teen girl commits suicide after a friend's mom cyberbullies her on MySpace. And then Rupert Murdoch uh, announces that he thinks MySpace could be worth as much as $6 billion, and he expected as many as 200 million new user profiles by mid-2007. That never happened. Uh, MySpace makes cer certain acquisitions. They bought Photo Bucket, 
um, which was a free photo sharing service for 250 million. Um, but then all of a sudden the tide turns. Right around June of 2008 is the pivot point. Facebook passes MySpace in terms of users. But then by March of 2009, the COO leaves the company after only a year and then starts taking a lot of the top senior vice presidents and talent. And then one month after that leader leaves, one of the co-founders, Chris DeWolf, steps down from his position. And then by June 2009, MySpace lays off 30% of its staff, going from 1,420 employees down to 1,000. And the international staff is reduced to, from 450 down to 150. And then the rails kind of came off. By January 2011, MySpace lays off 500 employees or almost 50% of its remaining workforce. The New York Times reported in January 2011, even Tila Tequila, the model and rapper who achieved fame by building an audience on MySpace, has switched allegiances. In 2006, Time Magazine called her the queen of MySpace, but now she switched to Facebook. That is the timeline in which we see the demise of MySpace. And now that we've gone through the timeline, let's hear about the final end and fall of this once iconic brand, MySpace. You know, MySpace, and they had their share of controversies and problems. You know, it was with heavy metal bands in the 80s, chat rooms in the 90s. Parents were really throwing a fit over MySpace when it first came out. And rightfully so, right? Many are worried about sexual predators. You know, few parents really understood that for many teenagers, uh, friend collecting, as what they called it, or putting as many people on your friends list as possible, even people you don't know or don't talk to on sites like MySpace, was very popular. Uh, and parents should be worried, and they were right to be worried that their 15-year-old daughter has, you know, a gagillion 20-something-year-old or older male friends. You know, in addition to this, uh, it was very unregulated form. MySpace had its problems with fake profiles, it was featuring slanderous content, the racists and hate groups. Uh, it really experienced, and rightfully so, its fair share of controversy and problems. Amid a wholesale staffing change by Rupert Murdoch in 2009, MySpace tried to redesign site features in the hopes of luring users back. Unfortunately, it seemed to be a little too little too late. It seemed as once again Facebook had paved the way and quickly adapted when users expressed frustration with usability or other feature changes. By 2011, News Corp decided to put MySpace up for sale. And in June 2011, the acquisition announcement was made the rumored price was a mere $35 million, paid by Specific Media Group and Justin Timberlake. Yep, the Justin Timberlake. Murdoch was quoted saying his purchase of MySpace was a huge mistake. MySpace reportedly changed hands a couple times since and is currently owned by the media conglomerate Meredith Corporation. MySpace claims to be charting a new course in the forms of all things music, the site's target audience is musicians and music enthusiasts. Today's MySpace website appears to be a sort of hybrid combination of social networking, YouTube links, and news, 
with a slight common thread of music. Uh, it's, it's difficult to see the clear direction of where the brand is going. Hmm, while we ponder that. Hey, remember our first friend, Tom? What happened to Tom? His last logon to MySpace was March 11th, 2006. Today, according to his Twitter feed, he's enjoying retirement, traveling around the world, and perfecting his photography in search of the perfect photo. So really, what brought on the demise of a brand once worth $12 billion and the most visited site on the internet? The death of MySpace came from a lethal combination of outdated programming, rejecting the purchase of Facebook, the dismantling of a solid brand upon being acquired by a corporate entity, and the clutter of too many ads overrunning user experience and ultimately its reputation as CD space. In the end, Although Facebook is known for its superior product and brand, it is not Facebook that caused the downfall of MySpace. It was the systematically and repeated poor company decisions that brought MySpace to its knees. In the case of a strong brand, to win is not to be first. To win is to be the last one standing. We hope you enjoyed this episode on MySpace, the rise and fall of an iconic brand. The whole point of this entire podcast is to study leadership, to study culture, and to study brands and what works and what doesn't work so that we can all learn what best practices actually are. This was a great example of what not to do and some circumstances that were completely beyond the control of some of the founders. It was a trying time, it was a time of vast change, and it was a time that absolutely exhibited leadership and some good decisions and some terrible decisions. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. All the best to you, and we'll see you on the next episode.